Commissioner Bridges, absent. Commissioner Driscoll? Present. Commissioner Gandhi is absent. Commissioner Helfon? Present. President Safai? Present. Mr. Thomas? Present. Thank you. We have a quorum. Great. Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you. Item number two, communications. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at this meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to two minutes. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body, and we thank you for joining us. Great. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number three, general public comment. Great. So are there any members of the public who would like to make general public comment? I think we have some names here today. So if you can come forward. This is the first public in-person comment, right? No, we have Fred Sanchez. Fred. And then we had some people last time too. Yeah. From yeah, 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 yeah. That's just recording my voice. Please proceed. You have two minutes. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Broly Bagala, and I am a lead organizer with African Communities Together, a nonprofit dedicated to imp improving uh, immigrants to fight for the dignity and respect they deserve. In this role, ACT supports the tenants at Southern Towers who are fighting against their displacement at the hands of CIM Group. Southern Towers is a five-building apartment complex located in Alexandria, Virginia, and has been home to thousands of hardworking, blue-collar, um, uh, many of whom are African immigrants. Southern Towers were previously viewed as a safe haven for affordable housing, but the CIM group who have previously viewed as a safe haven of affordable housing, but CIM group who you have invested roughly 931 million into has changed the perception and engaged in predatory actions and that put vulnerable tenants at the risk of displacement. Tenants have reported mass eviction filings, unaddressed maintenance issues, mold, disrespectful treatment, and significant rent increase. The situation at Southern Towers is unfortunately not unique, and CIM has a history of engaging unscrupulous practice to make a quick buck. During your April meeting, CIM's committed to ECG was discussed, and after reading the staff memo, we were shocked to see that your team has determined that CIM is dedicated to ECG. Uh, when their actions against vulnerable communities show the complete opposite. Your memo mentioned that this uh, conclusion was reached uh, after st st staff spoke with CIM and reviewed the company's ECG policies and reports. What CIM has their ECG report won't tell you that uh, when we asked CIM to translate its complex 40-page list into relevant language for tenants, was limited 
English proficiency. They refused. Uh, CIM and their ECG reports won't tell you that CIM was giving tenants five days' notes of eviction when their federal obligation under the CARES Act uh, required they give 30 days' notice. You could just wrap up, ma'am. Just All right. finish your last sentence. All right. Thank you. Just your last sentence. Uh, we are asking you to conduct a proper investigation into CIM's commitment to ECG by taking directly with impacted communities. We also ask Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next and speaker. the remaining tenants are here. Too. And Next speaker, please. Can we also turn up the volume up of that yeah. mic, please? I'm not sure the microphone's on. The it's microphone's on. Yeah, speak into the mic. I, 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 I heard no. Does, does, next speaker, please. Hello, everybody. My name is Haram Sheikh, and I am a tenant Towers. Southern Towers is a five-building apartment complex in Alexandria, Virginia, and it has been home to thousands of, uh, uh, of hard-working families seeking a better life. For years, Southern Towers has been known as a safe haven for the immigrant community. But that all began to change in 2020 when CIM bought the complex. Although CIM claims they are community focused and dedicated to maintaining workforce housing for a blue collar workers. Their actions have made it clear that they would rather contribute to the, dis, uh, to the displacement of working class families than provide stable and safe housing. In addition to raising rent costs, tenants at Southern Towers are also forced to deal with maintenance issues that CIM consistently fails to address. We find ourselves in these fictitious cycles where we, where we discover a maintenance problem. We put in a work order for staff to fix the problem. Nothing gets done. And then we, again, we have even found that some of our work orders end up getting marked as completed when no work has been done at all. Other tenants have reported that when they put in a maintenance request to address the model in their unit, maintenance staff simply paints over the mold instead of properly remediating it. As you can imagine, this has severely impacted the, uh, the quality of life for a lot of tenants. Imagine finding out that your kid has developed asthma because of the unsolved mold in your AC unit. Mm -hmm. Or finding out that the leak coming from your ceiling has grown into a flood as a blue collar workers. We are already working hard to make ends meet with the rising cost of living. We should not also should not also be time. Please finish your last sentence. Okay. Uh, 
we we facing housing crisis uh, and uh, are in a unique position to help. We are asking you to con to conduct a proper investigation Thank into you. CIM commitment. Thank you so much. Next speaker. Uh, good morning, everybody. Sorry, I'm speak Arabic. Some uh, lady translate. Someone's going to translate for you. Okay. Um, and and just uh, uh, لكن بدأ هذا الوضع في التغيير منذ عام 2020 عندما اشترت مجموعة CIM المجمع السكني وعلى الرغم من ادعائهم بأنهم يهتمون بالمجتمع ويصب تركيزهم على الحياة الاجتماعية للأسر التي تغطن المجمع السكني إلا أن ممارساتهم وإدارتهم تثبت عكس ذلك حيث أن كل سياساتهم إرادات تعكس الوضع السيء لحياة الأسر الكادحة العمل على تشريدهم بدلا من مساعدة هذه الأسر في الاستقرار والحياة الكريمة والآمنة لقد التقى المؤجرين بالإدارة عدة مرات لمناقشة هذه المخاوف لشرح المعاناة التي نعيش كمؤجرين ولكن لا حياة لمن تنادي ولا تغيير في الأسعار الباهظة للإيجارات التي تفرضها CIM علينا ناهيك عن الوضع الصحي المزري الذي نعيشه من وحدات سكنية لا تليق بحياة الأدمين مشكلات الصيانة لا نهائية في كل المباني السكنية لقد تجاوز نسبة الزيادات في الأجر من 6% إلى 14% بعد الحالات وتضاعفت قيمة ركن السيارات بما يفوق الضعفين من الوحدات السكنية المجاورة وعلى الرغم من أن هذا النظام يقول بأن كل الخدمات مشمولة في قيمة الإيجار الشهرية إن, إن شركة CIM تجعلنا الآن ندفع قيمة مضاعفة للخدمات كالكهرباء والمياه رغم الزيادات الباهظة في قيمة الإيجار الشهرية أنا أحد الضحايا للزيادة الخيالية التي تمت قيمة الإيجارات لقد عانيت كآخرين بعد الجانحة من قلة الدخل وتوقف العمل واعتمدت على المساعدة العقارية في تزيد الإيجار الشهري ونسبة للظروف المتعلقة بعدد هائل من طلبات الدعم التأخير في إكمال الإيجارات تراكم الإيجار الشهري واتخذ CIM زريعة أخرى دفع الإيجار من الدعم الحكومي لتحويل النظام مانس تو مانس ولو كانت هذه الشركة تملك أي قيمة لما فعلت ذلك وللأسرة المتعبة بتحويلهم بسبب تأخذ العيانات لنظام الدفع الشهري الباهظ نحن نواجه كارثة بمعنى الكلمة كارثة تهدد أمننا وحياتنا وأنتم الأمد الذي تبقى لإنقاذنا من هذا الوضع المزري نطالبكم بإجراء شفاف ما تفعل CIM والحديث مباشرة للمتضررين من ممارساتهم اللا إنسانية وأيضا نطالبكم بوقف أي استثمار في CIM لحين معالجتهم لهذا الوضع المشين بالإنسانية وكرامة الإنسان والاتصال بهم مباشرة ومطالبتهم بالتعامل بجدية مع كل مطالبنا والتعامل معنا بالكرامة والتقدير نستحق شكرا لكم سانكيو بريمات As he said, uh, his name is Tariq Dafala and his uh, tenant uh, Ma'am, can you get just a little closer to the microphone? All right. Thank you. Thank you. So as he said, his name is Tariq Dafala and uh, he is one of the tenant at Thousand Towers. Just to generalize what he was saying, I myself have been a victim of same unfair, uh, unfair price, pricing practice during the pandemic work 
was limited, so I had to rely on the rental assistant from the government. Due to the backlog of applications, my rental assistant was delayed. CIM decided to capitalize on my vulnerable position and used the late payments from the government as justification to move me into amendments to lease. A company that's truly committed to ECG should never use delayed government assistance during the pandemic as an opportunity to move a tenant into more expensive and less uh, stable lease. We are facing a housing crisis and you are, we are, you are in the unique position to help. We are asking you to conduct a proper investigation into CIM commitment to ECG by taking directly with impacted communities. We also ask that you halt in future investment until CIM properly addresses this issue and contact CIM and demand that they take our uh, request seriously and treat their tenants with the dignity and respect we deserve. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Are there any more speakers today? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ayan Shabagas, and I'm a tenant at Souther Towers. As a tenant Souther Towers, at Souther Towers, I'm very disappointed in your staff's decision. That's the I'm is committed to ESG when nothing could be further from the truth. Across the nation, ten tenants have been calling attention to CIM's immoral business practice. So you can only imagine how much of a slap in the face it is to now see this very com company be uploaded for conduct that is contributing toward our housing crisis. CIMs could have been so predatory that African community together had filed a complaint with the Federal Housing Finance Agency and Freddie Mac, showing how CIMs action run contract to FEDIMAC, starting purpose, purpose of preserving affordable housing. If this board is truly committed to ESG, you cannot simply really own CIM's word that they are committed to ESG. You must in engage with the people on the ground who are actually impacted. Your staff memo mentioned that there were no identify neutrally risk associated with CIM practices. Tell that the family who are being pushing out their homes becomes because CIM wanted to capitalize on their vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any more uh, speakers? Public comment? Okay. Thank you. Then public comment is closed. Madam Secretary, uh, please call the next item.
Item number four, action item, approval of the minutes of the April 20, 2023 retirement board meeting. Second. Okay, are there any members of the public who'd like to make public comment on this particular item? Seeing none, uh, public comment on this item is closed. So a motion made by Commissioner Thomas, seconded by Commissioner Halfon. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call a roll. Commissioner Thomas? Aye. Commissioner Halfon? Aye. President Spy? Aye. Mr. Disco? Aye. Mr. Bridges? Aye. Thank you. We have five ayes. Motion passes. Great. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number five, action item, consent calendar. Move to approve. Move, okay. Move, motion made by Commissioner Helfon. Seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. A motion has been made by Commissioner Helfon, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Those in favor? Aye. Aye. Those opposed? Motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number six, discussion item. Chief Executive Officer's Report. This item was continued from the April 20, 2023 Retirement Board meeting. Thank you, Madam CEO, CIO. Good morning, commissioners. I uh, want to provide you with a, a number of updates uh, for the CEO report. Um, first, related to the forward calendar, I want to bring to your attention that the personnel committee will be meeting on June 20th, and the topic of conversation will be, uh, I'll, I'll hit my one-year mark, and so it'll be my performance evaluation, and we'll, we're getting on back, back on track for our actuarial services coordinator evaluation. And I bring this to your attention because you will be receiving from uh, Ashley Dunning at Nassiman uh, within the week uh, evaluations for you to complete. And I'd very much uh, appreciate you, you filling that out so that the personnel committee can, can fulfill their role and we can, um, again, get this process back on track. Likewise, the investment committee meeting is scheduled for July 12th. We have a lot to cover during that meeting. We have three asset class reviews and we will be reviewing the absolute return uh, revised guidelines. To the extent that you now are looking at your calendars and there are any issues, please let us know as soon as possible. Um, but uh, it's an important meeting and I hope that we can stick to the schedule and have that on, on July 12th. Madam COCO, just to interrupt, can you, can you say who's on the finance committee publicly? Uh, on the investment committee? Investment committee. Th that's the entire board. The entire board. Okay. Yep. Just wanted to make sure. Yep. Thank you. Um, another scheduling item that I want to uh, bring to your attention in June, that is the time of year that we name the president and vice president for the year. And it's the time that we establish um, the uh, scheduling around the, the board meetings. I know uh, this past year we've changed the time. It would be incredibly helpful uh, for staff and, and I think probably also for board members to make sure we, we reaffirm when those board meetings will be so that we can plan accordingly um, in our work and in our schedules. Likewise, in July, the committees will be named and uh, the ongoing theme here is uh, working with you to make sure we get the committee schedule set 
Um, so I will be very active once those committees are named to work with the members and get it set and hopefully have a calendar that we can uh, stick to the, the following year. Those are the scheduling items. The next uh, item I'd like to discuss is the board vacant seat. I want to update all the board members that uh, on May 11th, uh, nominations were closed for the vacant seat that we had. We had one nominee um, and that was uh, Tim O'Connor. The Department of Elections has certified that Tim is the trustee for the retirement board. We plan to have him sworn in uh, in advance of the June uh, meeting and uh, I along with staff will work uh, very diligently to uh, provide orientation and, and onboard him. And uh, in, in advance, I would just like to thank Tim uh, for his uh, commitment and willingness to serve on the board on behalf of uh, the current and future retirees of the city and county of San Francisco. Finally, um, I wanted to bring to your attention that we've included uh, the retirement dashboard, which is a quarterly report into the CEO report. Uh, it, it, it obviously comes under my purview and this is just a way to keep the agenda moving forward and include it. So to the extent uh, that you do have questions or want us to go through the dashboard, we can, but it is available here in the materials. Are there any questions? Thanks for the data. Thanks for the data on the dashboard. Whether or not we would, I know it comes under deferred comp, but also there's servicing going on in the deferred comp program that may be useful to add here to prove there's a lot more servicing going on that may even appear on this one document. But this is excellent. Thank you. Sure. So can you just reiterate those dates again? I have them on my calendar, but I just want you to say them for the record. So July 12th is the investment committee meeting, right? Correct. And, and then what are the other dates, big dates? Well, the other big dates are reconfirming when we're going to, for the following year, uh, have our, our board meetings. We had, oh, so reconfirming the calendar? Correct. And so th those are the... That's not on the agenda today, though. It, it is not. I'm putting that out there. So it's something that, that uh, we'll be prepared to address in, in June. June 20th is the personnel. Correct. Excuse me? June 20th. Can you say that to the microphone, please? June 20th is the um, personnel committee. Personnel. And, and this is all on the forward calendar that's in the materials. I understand. I just think it's important to say it on the record so everyone hears it. Appreciate that. That's. I mean, I have all this on my calendar, but for those listening and for the record, so the personnel committee is June 20th. And who's on the personnel committee? That is Commissioner Halfon and Commissioner Thomas. Okay, so, you know, if there's not a committee meeting, we know who's responsible. <laughs> All right, so those are the two big dates, June 20th, July 12th, transition of presidency, and then calendar. Any other important things that you wanted to? <laughs> those were all the topics I plan to cover in this report. Okay, great. So are there, excuse me. <laughs> Are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing that public comments closed. Uh, so that's it. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number seven, discussion item, governance committee meeting report. And this item was continued from April 2023 retirement board meeting. We have a presenter today. 
Commissioner Driscoll, you um, stepped in to chair the governance committee. Is there anything that you would like to share with the broader board? Basically, that was the first meeting we've had in some. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's all. It's on now. When the light's off, it's on. Oh, I thought the light was off. Okay, thank you. Um, it's confusing. So, remotely, it was done. Thank you. Anyway, it was first meeting at some time, but the key thing about the meeting are the ex the next three items on the agenda, items 9, 10, and 11. So that'll basically conclude the report of the committee. Thank you. Was there anything in particular that you wanted to highlight on top of what Com Commissioner Driscoll said? Commissioner Driscoll, maybe for the record, if you could indicate that the governance committee approved to... The Yes, the committee did approve the minutes from the May meeting in 2021 and then recommended the items you will see in the next minute in items 9, 10, and 11 uh, for, in terms of reference and operational policy. Thank you. Welcome. Great. Are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number eight, action item, review and approve revisions of board terms of reference and policies, minor edits. This item was continued from the April 2023 retirement board meeting. Okay. Commissioners, I, I'm pleased to have before you the next three items, um, um, which reflect the board terms of reference and, and governance policies. By way of background, these are the first set of documents that I asked to see when I uh, uh, joined SFERS because this is what outlines what my responsibilities are, what staff's responsibilities are, and what are the responsibilities of the board. And this drives everything that, that we do. In my role, I view that I'm here to help facilitate you to adhere to these uh, policies. Um, the policies generally are up for review every five years. We were uh, somewhat behind in, in having a robust review of them. So I went through all of the documents to clean them up, make sure that they were clear and consistent, uh, and, and did that with the help of, of Karen, of Cecilia, with Ashley from, from Nassiman to make sure that it reflected our current practices, reflected uh, current law, regulation, et cetera, and minimized redundancy. In some cases, I think over the years, uh, things have been added to various policies in various places, uh, and, and that becomes uh, more burdensome, one, to update, and two, could be confusing if, if we have things that are different in, in policies. So overall, I would say that uh, these policies have not, it's not been a major overhaul. It's not that we've completely rewritten these. We've tried to clean them up. In this section that, that we'll cover on this agenda item are what we're char characterizing as uh, minor edits. So either typos or just very minor clarification points um, that, that we have put into these. And to help you, we have red lines. And we also, I included in the first exhibit, a summary of the, the changes uh, in, in the um, policy. So for instance, to give you a flavor for the retirement board terms of reference, I've indicated that the IPS investment policy statement would be reviewed not less than every five years um, rather than every two years. This, this isn't something that generally we would uh, be changing regularly. We have the option to review it more often, but, but recommend five years. Um, we've also, for instance, done things like combine the vice president and president terms of reference for simplicity purposes. 
Um, I do want to point out um, one particular item with respect to the Code of Fiduciary Conduct, Ethics, and Governance. Um, it, it, it's consistent with what we discussed very much in making sure we have meetings scheduled and we're here. Uh, the items that they haven't really changed, but I want to bring your attention in the Code of Fiduciary Conduct. Uh, board members are to make good faith effort to attend an entirety of the, the board meetings and the committees in which they serve. Provide notice to both myself and to our board secretary if, if you can't attend. Be active, engaged, and refrain from using electronic devices during board or, or committee meetings in a manner that may disrupt the meeting. I know you all know this, um, and I appreciate uh, your, your diligence in, 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 in these, but um, um, want to make sure since there's a lot here um, to, to bring that to your attention. Happy to go through in more detail the changes, but those are the points that I wanted to make with respect to what's in this agenda item. That's great. Any questions from Commissioner? Yes, I have one. Commissioner Helfand. Great. Uh, this is good. Cleaned up. Understand, approve. I, I mean, I like it all, but I'm confused. Have, is there a redundancy in the word executive director? Commissioner, can and, you just speak into the mic because it's not going into the microphone? Is there a redundancy that adding the name, the title of executive director with CIO, CEO, and like, I, I'm, I personally, it is redundant. And I think you get rid of the term executive director. Okay. Uh, thank you for the question. And to, to give an example of how diligent we were in, in reviewing all of this, uh, that was a point of discussion among all of us. And I and and um, Cecilia, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, so the the charter still uses the term executive director, and so the CEO and CIO is acting as the executive director. And so for consistency throughout these policies, we use the term executive director. Are we? Beholden to the charter in the defin in definitive in the definitions of that, the way we comport our business in certain in this way. Yes, we are, and also the charter sets out that the executive director can be CEO, CIO, or CEO. So, if there ever were a division of the roles in the future, then we don't have to go back and change everything because we already have it as executive director. Commissioner, there's another place where we oh, actually wrote that clarification. Guys, guys, hold on, please. Please wait to be recognized before everyone starts talking. Commissioner okay. Driscoll, go ahead. I'm just going to mention that there's another document where this was addressed, where it's written out, where executive directors. There you go. Now it's on. It's on. Go ahead. I forget exactly which documents where the phrase is, the terms executive director is equivalent to the CEO, CIO. I forget which document it was, but it's addressed there. Anyone else wish to comment on this item? Oh, please. Uh, one further point on the executive director question. Uh, first of all, the executive director term of reference addresses this point that your that your executive director currently is the CEO CIO. In addition, from a streamlining perspective, almost all of your policies reference an executive director, and so to avoid the, the the whiplash of having to change that over time with respect to multiple references. We thought this was a better 
a better approach um, to just keep it to executive director having defined it as you apply it currently. Commissioner, any, did you have something? Yeah. Okay. Any other comment? I mean, just, just to add on to that, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time um, with the initiative. It was partly regarding the retirement of those prior to 1996. And then we added the language about COCIO into the charter. So because it's in the charter, Commissioner Halfon has defined very explicitly, we have to follow yeah, that, gu that guidance. And we were very careful to define what executive director and COCIO was. We spent a lot of time with uh, the city attorney, Cecilia, and her team. So this allows for a broader reference, and then we've defined it in other places. So we appreciate that. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Um, so that was just purely item number eight for now. So, so this is about approving the re revisions to the board terms of references and policies. Can I have a motion, please? Move to approve. Move to approve made by Commissioner Helfon, seconded by, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. Are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Motion has been made by Commissioner Helfon, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. Those in favor? Aye. Aye. Those opposed? Okay. Hearing no objection, motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number nine, action item, review and approve revisions of board operations policy. Madam CEO, CIO. Thank you. This item is a separate agenda item because we were required to have this uh, posted for 10 days. So we've pulled it out. Um, but the uh, items that have been um, edited or, or amended again are redlined as in all the sections. Uh, and what we've done is um, indicated that, for instance, notes for uh, meeting minutes would be approved by the board, which is what we've already been doing. And it establishes that standing committee meetings generally will be scheduled on a Wednesday rather than only the third Wednesday of, of the month. So again, discussion in here about keeping a regular schedule and having committee meetings, um, but the edits themselves to this document were relatively limited. I should also mention we added uh, language uh, on parental leave to be consistent with the city. Are there any questions with respect to the board operations policy? Any questions, commissioners? Any, did you have a comment? The only additional comment I'd make is uh, currently your policy provides that uh, public comment may be up to five minutes, although your practice and your board meeting agenda state that you prefer two minutes. Um, this finds a happy medium of three minutes, which is a very common practice across. Say that again? It's on page 10. Uh -huh. It changes the public comment preference to three minutes as opposed to up to five minutes. So that would need, that should be changed on your agendas if you adopt this. <clears throat> and that is the most common uh, in, in my experience, advising a number of boards across California th up to three minutes is a, is a very common. And no, we don't practice. even do that. Our practice is two minutes. I'm, I'm just noting that we have the changes. flexibility. You have the flexibility, right? Right. Commissioner Halfon. Um, also, with regards to that, how flexible are we on the Wednesday date? 
Yeah, I was good. But hold on a second. Okay. Keep jumping back. I, I, I want to talk about that as well, but I want to finish the, okay. the time limit. Does anyone have any comment on that? Just to clarify the last sentence um, uh, through the uh, to the city attorney or the COCIO, said the president of the retirement board may limit the total time to 30 minutes. That's total per item or total in general? That's per item. Per item. Okay. Just wanted to point that out. Um, that That is, I believe, is state law, right? I mean, that's what we reference in when we do our transportation authority meetings that they state out that based on state law that each item can be limited up to 30 minutes um, by the, the chair or president. So that is our governance policy, but we're, I just want to say on the record that that is a, that is a practice with throughout the state. Commissioner Driscoll. Uh, two things. One, it then becomes down to an, the definition of item. Does it apply to the motions or the item? Some items have multiple motions to execute or adopt the item. That's a loaded question, but is there already an answer to that? Well, generally it's per item. I, I can't think of an example of when we had have had more than one vote per item. I think we usually try to break it down so it's one vote per item. Well, yesterday we could have had four at the different company. We decided to package it, but it could have been four separate motions. I'm just trying to understand the issue. Well, I, I know you do have, Commissioner Driscoll, if there's multiple items, you can merge multiple items on an agenda and then there becomes that then becomes one item the public can comment on, not each one separately. What I'm trying to drive at, if somebody wants to speak and get his two, three, five minutes on every motion as opposed to the item. Yeah, no, I... It'll go, if it's the point that the president of the, or whoever's chairing the meeting can make that ruling to and include, which is my next point, it doesn't have to be three minutes. If we use a maximum limit of 30 minutes, we say, folks, unfortunately, there's so many speakers, we're going to have to reduce it for two meeting, two minutes today, like we did today. Right. That flexibility there is under control. I just want to make sure that the public would understand. Yeah. Okay. Item means the item, not by motion. Right. Good point. Thank you. That's correct. Any, any, uh, any other comments or questions on time limits? Okay. Now, Commissioner Health, I was going to ask the same thing, so I'm glad you brought that up. Go ahead, Re please reiterate your... No, I'm just, um, I yeah, think it's, it's essential, and, and I'll speak candidly. Um, when um, President Safaye came on as the president and in his role as, as a commissioner here, as well as a supervisor for the city, um, the supervisors have a very full agenda and it's monthly. I mean, it, we're, it's more current than we have. So I'm just, if it, if in the future, I, I know Wednesday is something that is sort of ingrained in a lot of our constituency, our operations. It's been that way. We switched to Thursday to make it operational in terms of uh, President Safai. But are, are we locking ourselves in here? on this item because I would suspect that we would have a conversation about going back to Wednesday um, if, if when President Safai's term as president uh, expires. If I may address that, the language is written that regular meetings are held on Wednesdays or at other time, date, or places. Uh, 
that the board may designate. So it does provide some flexibility. I think it's anchoring in on a Wednesday, but provides flexibility if where, a different decision is made. Where does it say the part that you said? Yeah. At, at the very end. Um, of, so I'm looking at page four, item 18A, where we say regular board meetings on the second Wednesday right. and the last phrase is or at other time date or place as the board oh, okay. or a regular okay. meeting may designate yeah I, I didn't see that either but why wouldn't we just just to continue the question why wouldn't we if we're gonna are we we passing this are we gonna pass and enact this today approve it mm -hmm. okay why wouldn't we say there will be thursday of each month at 11 at 11 like it is right right now and then when we when if we go back to Thursday, I'm sorry, why not put Thursday in and then go back to Wednesday if we if we choose to? I, just go ahead. Com Commissioner Thomas. Uh, I, I think that the current draft makes sense in that it provides us with the flexibility to return back to the original date if necessary, but we could also maintain the current one, yeah. especially if we're looking at this in the future. It, given the way that it's written, it seems like it allows us to to the flexibility to do any of those. The, the date, you know, yeah, is it no, locking I, us in? So I, I, I feel like uh, I agree. Yeah, I, I like it the way it is. Okay. Um, Thank you, President uh, Safai. I uh, concur with um, Commissioner Thomas. I think I like the language the way it is because it gives us the flexibility. If you go to Thursday, Friday, it doesn't matter because that last sentence gives you the flexibility to move. But I like it the way it's stated now. And also as a member of the Governance Committee. Okie dokie. You okay with that? I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, just to add on to your point, the, the main conflict was if you have a member of the Board of Supervisors that also serves on the Budget Committee, the Budget Committee meets on Wednesdays. So that was why it didn't matter which week it was in the month. It was the fact that it was a Wednesday. I know here it says second Wednesdays. I don't remember. I guess that's what we did. And then we moved it to, we were working out all the different schedules here. Um, but I mean, I think it's fine the way it is because of that last sentence, we have the flexibility. I just wanted to point out there in the future, if not me and somebody else, and they happen to be on the budget committee, you're going to continue to have that conflict because budget committee meets um, mornings. And then once we get into the budget season for the, for the city, then they meet in the afternoon as well. Oh, it makes sense. You want someone that understands the finances of the, of the city. So uh, yes, Commissioner Bridges. If there are no more comments on this item, um, President Safai, I move that we approve the revisions of the operations to board operations policy. The motion made by Commissioner Bridges, seconded by second Commissioner Helfond. Are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. So a motion has been made by Commissioner Bridges, seconded by Commissioner Helfond. Those in favor? Aye. <laughs> Uh, those opposed, seeing none, hearing no objections, the motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 10, action item. Review and approve board revision of board policies, more substantive edits. This item was continued from April 2023 retirement board meeting. 
So this is the last of the, the three items related to governance policy and uh, this group of um, policies had a, a few more edits than the last group, so we put them in their own section. Uh, as we did for the other sections, I have a summary page uh, trying to highlight what the changes were in each of those policies. And there are a number of items that I'd like to, to highlight here um, to make sure that, that uh, the, uh, you're, you're comfortable with these changes. First, as it relates to the strategic plan, um, previously there, there was really, uh, the, the policy was set up that there was an annual uh, strategic plan and, and we would be reporting on it quarterly. My perspective is that a strategic plan is typically more of a three or, three or even five year uh, type of plan. Um, and so we've set up this strategic planning policy now to be a three year plan with annual updates. So the communication will still be there and you will get updates as to where we are in that process, but the development of the strategic plan will happen uh, on a three-year rotating uh, cycle. Secondly, um, for the monitor and reporting uh, policy, um, I went through this with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, this is the place where there was uh, some redundancy in particular. Uh, there, were, there was a table in there that highlighted all the reports that uh, we uh, deliver to, to the board and other reporting requirements. Um, and, and a lot of that was already covered in uh, all the other policies. So what I'm recommending here and what you'll see in your materials is I updated the table so you can see all the items that are now current with the other policies, but I do recommend removing the table because we run the risk of, again, we change a policy in one place and now we have to uh, change it somewhere else. So I have a very, very detailed um, report schedule that I'm maintaining. I can make that available to you. We are not losing any reporting. I just don't want, uh, I don't recommend having the redundant uh, table uh, here in this policy. The third item that I wanted to cover is with respect to the communications uh, policy. Mm -hmm. And here wanted to highlight some uh, and reaffirm some items that are in the communications policy. First on communications with staff, as, as written in uh, the, the policy, all requests for information that require work uh, should be done in writing and should be directed to, to me, the COO or the actual, actuarial services coordinator. Copy me please on all those emails. Um, and these are requests for consideration, not, not necessarily action. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, um, but please do not reach out. And we have this in policy to individual staff members uh, with requests. Again, they should go through me, through Karen, or through the actuarial services coordinator. The reason I say that the, the requests uh, are for consideration is I wanna work uh, successfully with you all as a board. Um, we've gotten a lot of requests, those are great. We're very happy to have uh, an inquisitive uh, and engaged board. Um, I will be, I am keeping informal, an informal log of all the requests and wanna make sure that the time spent by staff is aligned with the collective board, board's view of where we spend time. So, um, so we will work with you on that and, and we may have further discussions, but first and foremost, again, just wanted to highlight that, that communications with staff on work requests should go through, through uh, myself. Secondly, communications with members and beneficiaries want to reiterate. Before you go on to that, Madam Secretary, I, I, Madam Secretary, Madam CEO, CIO, um, the last sentence that you, that you saved, 
this policy does not include routine requests for readily available information. What does that mean? So a document that already exists, um, uh, uh, just a, a question on a, a matter of fact of something, you know, a policy, what, ha what have you. If it's an, an, a, on the other side of the spectrum, it's we want you to look into making this change with how you administer something, or we want you to uh, provide an analysis of a manager or a new investment. Those are obviously much more substantial work requests. But what is the purpose of that sentence? It seems, it seems non sequitur. So are you saying what, what I think you need a little more there. It doesn't, it's not making sense. Are you saying if a board member has a routine information request, it can be done verbally and it can be done to anyone? Cause it's, it's not clear. Can you direct, just so I can. Oh, this is, it says board members request for information from staff. Got it. And I, there's no page number, so I can't tell you a page. Yep. Number. No, I, I'm there. I see where you're okay. So I see the things that you struck and, and we've had conversations and, and I've been very clear in terms of what I believe is the right way to communicate. It should definitely be on every board or any that I know in the city, communications from commissioners are done directly to the executive director and CEO, CIO, not to staff. And I think that's very clear except for that last sentence. The intent was to give a little bit of flexibility, you know, if you want a basic document that's on our website and you're talking to, you're in a room with one of our staff members, we don't have an issue with you saying, hey, can you send me that? The, the idea is if there's any work that's required. I, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that's, I think that's too broad. I think that personally, and, and I'm happy to have other commissioners weigh in, but I think personally that the communication from commissioners should be through the CEO, CIO, or the actuary service person. I, I don't think it should be direct communication with staff for any information, personally. I don't think that's a good practice. I think it's too flexible. It leaves room for a lot of things. And the, and, and the interaction dynamic is one in which it can start off with a routine request that then grows into, oh, but I can do, and then it becomes even more than that. I don't think it's appropriate. I think, I think we should strike that last sentence. And I think this, uh, I just have a comment from a governance perspective. I think it's a really good observation. One um, way to reflect, I think, both interests, and I defer to your CEO, CIO on, <clears throat> on this, but um, would be to note that it does not include routine requests for readily available information and then identify to whom that should be directed. For example, your board clerk. If the request is for the board packet for a meeting, or to know where the policies are within your systems, you shouldn't presumably from a governance perspective be taking your CEO, CIO's time right. with that, but the board clerk would know exactly where to direct you. That's so fine. So that might be an instance. And if it's readily available information, it should the, to, should be directed to the, to the board clerk. I'm fine with that. That makes sense. But I just want to draw a clear line between the commission and staff. I don't think it's, I don't think information and requests should be going from commission to staff. I don't think it's appropriate. So I'm happy. Commissioner Driscoll. I assume the way Ms. Dunning brought up this issue, for example, the board has an executive secretary. Do we have to go through the executive director slash CEO CEO to ask of something? No, I think that was the point. That's I think clear. I, okay. I, I, just I, think, I think that's a good point. 
different terms. That's one. Two, what about the actual services coordinator? Well, it, it's, it's mentioned here. As, it's, it's one that's allowable. It says COO or actuary services coordinator. Okay. So so those, just, now, let's make those are clearly the, understand the same chapter. What about any of our external? Well, that's in a different area. External communications. But do I have to go through the executive director? What it, it depends on what external communications you're referring to. Our general consultant, sometimes called the board consultant. So, so right now you're talking, uh, the, the commissioner just while you're talking about requests for information from staff. So that would be a different section of this that should be discussed as well. But, but maybe not. Maybe we can refer to that. Well, sometimes uh, it's to a, it. <clears throat> some of the subjects we work on here are worked with board staff and external people. Obviously, the executive director, CEO, CEO wants to keep track of everything. That makes good sense. But to make it a requisition that I have to go through her to talk to somebody else, sometimes it gets awkward or forgetting. Usually when I want to, when I know who the person who has the answer to the question, I CC the CEO, CIO. Is that in violation? Would that be a violation of the rule? I, the way I look at it, but I, I would have to, I want to hear what the CEO has to say. So to Ms. Dunning's point, the section that we're talking about is is information from staff. There are sections on guidelines about uh, communications with others. Where Specifically address um, Commissioner Driscoll's question, though, with respect to the board consultant, it is your consultant and, and, and specific to the board consultant, those communications can be direct. That's I, in some ways comparable. The actuarial service coordinator reports into the board. And it makes sense for you to have that direct access there as well. I don't, what, where's the section it, that so talks about? If you turn back, excuse me, if you turn back to the prior page under item um, 11, external communication service providers, I believe that directly mm. addresses this point and notes that board members simply agree to inform the board president and executive director in a timely fashion if they are having significant communications oh. pertaining to first business with those individuals. Yeah, and it references the investment consultant. So there's absolutely no prohibition on that. There's simply a. Um, it says to keep <clears throat> keep yeah. them keep them in the loop. Them apprised, right? <clears throat> that makes sense. And in terms of the title that's referenced, I I defer whether it's board clerk or or board executive secretary, but it's the same person to whom I, we were referring, I believe. <clears throat> what is the appropriate term? Board secretary. So, so um, there's a couple other items to discuss on the communications policy, but I just want to make sure we're clear on what we're going to change. I, yeah, so what we will change here at the end is that this policy does not include routine requests for readily available information. Um, that Those can be directed to the board secretary. A comma, which should be directed to, yeah. Okay. Or which are to be, we can make it more directive. <clears throat> Bear with me. I want to make sure I'm on the right page on this thing. Sure. Are you on section uh, item number 10? 10, yes. And, and it's board members' request for information okay. from staff. It's item. Under which? Under which? Paragraph 13. Oh, that's not the way it is. Okay. Fine. I don't want to mess with your stuff. But broken up. The yeah. page number is not numbered. I was, There's no page numbers on this. I was organizing it. In. it. It's this. It starts with this. The calendar sheet. 
Here it is. See this one? San Francisco Employees Retirement System Board Communication Policy. Oh, Commissioner Thomas, did you have? I'm sorry, I know you had your hand up. Please go ahead while he's looking for his. I, I think we've resolved it. We're good. <laughs> okay. This last page. You have it? Yeah, I got to the right section. I 10 before 11. Right here. Right. Right there. This policy does not include routine requests for readily available information. And then we would add, which are to be directed to the board secretary. Which, which are to be directed to the board secretary. We would add that comma, which are to be directed to the board secretary. To the board secretary, not to the CEO. I can support that. Can we move on? Yes, okay. please. Perfect. So that addresses uh, information requests for, from staff. I think it, it, we've talked about interaction with a consultant. A couple other points to make, communications with members and beneficiaries. So as a reminder, board members may only convey general information to beneficiaries and cannot provide beneficiaries education or technical information on their benefits. We uh, staff cannot discuss individual beneficiaries benefits with with uh, board members. And if a um, member has a question that they ask of the board members, then we ask that the board uh, refer them to either our website, the member services team or the COO uh, as appropriate. Um, Next on referrals, referrals being if you know if a manager come to you and ask for a meeting or uh, other vendors, again that must go through the uh, through myself through the board. Pardon? Where's that? That is. Is that under external? No, that's conference. Oh, here we go. Is a board member referral, referral to management. management? Correct. So those were those referrals must go uh, through me through the board secretary or the COO for consideration. Those should not go directly to staff. Uh, obviously, we would involve staff as appropriate, but they, they should go through me. Two more points on the communication policy. One, uh, what we're terming communication with two hats. Um, board members huh. conduct discussions with stakeholders when acting in two capacities. Um, I that uh, as a board member and that of one of your your other roles and that uh, you should be aware includes both in person discussion but discussions that may occur through uh, email or, or social media. And then finally, and I know you are all very uh, keenly aware of this, I want to remind you that non-public information that we share with you uh, in, in the course of interaction and board meetings must remain confidential. So those are the uh, the items on the communication policy that I wanted to highlight. I think we have, for the record, uh, the, the amendment that you wanted uh, added in there, but I certainly welcome any other questions with respect to any of the policies in this section. Any commissioners, questions, further comments? Okay, great. 
Just, just going back to the board member referrals to management. I was just rereading that. So sounds that's been a consistent practice, but you've added some language or removed some language. Um, is it in, in that instance, I see the board secretary, if someone wanted like a plan member or investment manager, media otherwise got in contact with any of us with regard to benefit investment or other retirement related matters, wouldn't that just make sense to just go straight to the CEO, CIO? And in and, and and that instance, not the board secretary, that seems like a pretty significant request. So I just want to understand what thinking is behind that. I, I think the rationale that we were discussing before applies here. Um, you know, if it's sort of a routine request of something that, that we provide to uh, a, a member and it's administrative, I think that can go to the board secretary if it's, it's a, a larger ask. Oh, right, because you say plan members. Okay, so you leave the flexibility. It's more general in nature or simple or factual, so it's like the CEO or the board secretary. Correct. Okay, got it. Okay, I'm good. So I think we need to make a motion to amend um, and add that sentence, and then we can then vote on the whole item. So is there a motion to amend as written into the record under the section board members request for information for staff? That would read this policy does not include routine requests for readily available information, which are to be directed to the board secretary. I have a motion to make that amendment. So moved. Seconded by. Second. Seconded by Thomas. Moved by Helfond. Okay, so we've amended that. So we have to, oh, we have, I guess we have to take public comment on the item first, and then we can make a final. Is there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. So there's a motion to amend uh, as read into the record by Commissioner Helfon, second of uh, Commissioner Thomas, second by Commissioner Helfon. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay, so that amendment motion passes. And now a motion to uh, to send the full the item to pass the item as amended. I have a motion. So moved. Moved by Commissioner Bridges, seconded by Commissioner Helfon. All those in favor? Aye. 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 All those opposed? Nay. Okay, the motion passes. Um, I think we're going to take a break for lunch. And we'll come back to item number 11. Okay? Lunch time. Sorry. We, we will be back at... 
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Present. Mr. Helfand? Present. President Safai? Present. Mr. Driscoll? Present. Mr. Bridges? Present. Thank you. We have a quorum. Great. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 11, action item, consideration of remote public comment. All righty. Uh, any I, presentation, Madam CEO-CIO? Would you like me uh, yeah, to tee this up? Please. Okay. Um, so um, relatively straightforward in terms of the agenda item, which we've laid out in the uh, calendar sheet here. As you may recall, on March 1st, 2023, uh, policy bodies no longer had a legal obligation to offer remote public comment to members of the public um, with exceptions for a reasonable accommodation. Um, this was discussed at the board meeting in February, but we now have it as an action item uh, on on this uh, for this board meeting. And we've put forward for your consideration a number of options. Certainly there are other options available for your consideration, but option one would be to maintain our current practice, which would uh, is no remote public comment except where required by law. Uh, option two would be to allow for remote public comment uh, for everyone. Um, with a, a total time limit. So for instance, what we put forward here is up to 10 minutes of remote public comment per agenda item. And then the uh, per person time limit would be identical to in person. A third option that we've put forward for your consideration is to allow uh, remote public comment for everyone. And those conditions would be exactly identical to in person comment. So you would have limitations on uh, individual um, speakers and as we discussed earlier in this meeting uh it would be at the discretion of the president uh, on any agenda item to uh, limit total public comment in person and remote uh to a certain amount of time so those are the options before you i'm happy to address yes. questions before um before we go to oh that's fine go ahead commissioner Helfand. well what i was going to say is i i just listen we we've, we've gone through uh, obviously a major transformation over the last three years uh, with the pandemic. And it has, it has birthed, for lack of a better word, birthed some, some real positive impacts in terms of access and accessibility and public participation. Um, it, it has, and, and I still stand by my previous comments, uh, there are some real downsides that our city is still struggling with as it as it pertains to uh, remote work in particular. Um, and that's evidenced by pure statistics. We have the highest office vacancy rate in the entire country. By by far, it's not even close. And a lot of that has to do with remote work and inability to re-entice people to come back into the office. One, but it also has to do with the type of industry that we have here, and we're heavily reliant on professional services and, and the tech sector. And that is also part of the reason why, along with a whole host of other reasons that we're trying to address as a city when it comes to crime and cleanliness, and we don't have to get too much into in depth on that, but there are barriers for people, and some of it was evidenced by today. I mean, we saw a group of people that came from across the country to comment on an item at general public comment. We have retirees all over the country. We have retirees all over the state of California. We have interests all over the all over the world. And so I think that personally, I think 
it, it makes sense to have remote public comment. I think that we have the built-in rules in our governance to limit that, to, to ensure that we still have the right flow on our agenda. But I think that it's, it's time that we reinstitute that. Uh, we had it during uh, COVID, although there wasn't much participation. Still as an option, I think that some, some of that has been shown to be a positive in terms of getting the input and information that we need. So, go, Commissioner Halfon. Um, well, I'm in favor of the, I, I, let me backtrack. As much as I don't want, as much as I don't want to say that getting older is, is a disability, but, um, you know, when we have participants in this building, particularly this building, because we have the retirement board here and below us, I think is health service system. Mm -hmm. And it involves a major constituency of the city and county of San Francisco. And um, just in the volume of, of um, responses I've been emailed and what, I totally agree with Supervisor Sapai that we, we should make it available to our constituency and um, actually the city, the whole entire city. So um, it, it, the only concern I have is that we do it smartly in terms of not uh, um, overloading our, um, our teams in, in terms of delivering the service and, and reduce and, and addressing the costs. So I, I, I would, I, I'm sure you, AJ wants to say something. Thank God. No, I'm, I'm finished. That's my position. Commissioner Thomas. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Um, in discussing with folks that want to participate in public comment and also with staff to, to uh, um, research whether, you know, the, the, the administrative burden and all uh, would be significant. I feel very comfortable with option three from the recommendations um, and seeing Commissioner Burgess uh, um, gesture. I'm going to go ahead and make a motion to adopt option three. Okay, before, okay great. Well, I'll take that motion in a minute. I just want to give everyone the opportunity to weigh in. Yeah. Commissioner Bridges. Thank you, President Sophie. Um, I think um, option three is, is the best solution for us because, again, going back to having constituents all over the country, and some even outside of the country who move to other places. It gives every, everyone an opportunity to do process. It gives everyone an opportunity to uh, voice their opinion. Not everyone can get on a plane. And I'm, I applaud uh, the, the people that came in from across the country. That's, that's no easy feat. Mm -hmm. And financially, economically, I mean, it's, it's tough. But, and we have some people that are disabled. Right. So if you have disabled folks that need to call in, I think they should have the opportunity to voice their concerns as well. So I'm uh, a person that's really supporting option three. Great. Any other commissioners want to comment? Yes. Commissioner Driscoll, hit uh, your little, hit, hit your button. I can certainly support option number three. Uh, it's superior to the first two, though it may be in one sense more convenient uh, for us all the, with all the other items we're trying to cover. But I think to use the word smartly that Commissioner Helfon just used, how we would implement option three can help us achieve our other tasks, meaning we've never actually then invoked the time limit on a topic. 
uh, and therefore some meetings uh, on one item, it goes hours, which is fine. We want our members to be recognized. We want them to believe that we're listening to them. I mean, we have all sorts of proof when the big issue, just as one example, the fact that we added Andrew Collins and another analyst to help him dealing with ESG issues is a big expense, but we did it to prove and we, it's helped us improve our decision making. But what I'm concerned about the amount of time spent, which could occur, it's a couple, it's already happened a couple of times in the last couple of years. Normally then we're having particularly our investment staff and other people staying in the room for a couple hours and they're not doing other work. Therefore, another one of the tools besides implementing the time cap is that we have the right to say, okay, we're going to take up this item. It may take up four or five hours, but because issues of protecting the quorum, we're going to adjourn the second half of the meeting, which may be pure investment items until the next day. Unfortunately, sometimes there are investment items. They usually occur in the closed sessions, which we always take up first, but maybe we're going to have to push it back. They're, they're on a deadline. If we don't decide today, we're not going to be able to make that investment. So again, that's a competing interest for the time. Yet at the same time, we're trying to have the remoteness access to have our members and beneficiaries be able to listen and participate. So again, that's a tool that hopefully the who's ever managing the board or the board would consider that so we to make option three work, but in such a way it didn't negatively affect all the other work we're trying to do at any given meeting. Right. And, and I think all those are really important comments. I think that having the ability to participate is really, really important, kind of overriding everything else when it comes to public comment. And, and, and I think you're right, Commissioner, uh, we've never invoked that limit, but we do have that limit and we have the ability to control for that. Um, okay, great. So there's a motion on the floor for option number three made by Commissioner Thomas, seconded by Commissioner, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Did we get public comment? <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Any members of the, that's funny. Any members of the public uh, wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, okay, so motion made by Commissioner Thomas, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. All those in favor, say aye. Aye. All those opposed? Okay, motion passes. Next item. Well, action item, recommendation to engage successful proposer to perform actuarial audit. Good afternoon, commissioners. In March, SPURS issued a request for proposals for the actuarial audit. And we received four responses from four very qualified firms. After considering the proposals, we are asking that the board approve engagement of GRS to perform the actuarial audit. GRS scored highly under each selection of criteria. They can deliver a high-level national view of our plan, huh. both firm and consultant experience, and they provided a very competitive fee for the actuarial audit. Do you have any questions? Any questions, Commissioner Driscoll? Two questions. One, uh, who was on your team? It was uh, Karen and Allison and myself. Thank you. Second question, has GRS ever done audits where Chiron was the 
consulting actuary? I did not ask that question. They have. They've done thousands. Yes, I exactly. think so probably. Okay, probably. thank you. Happy to support your recommendation. Thank you. Any other comments? Move to approve. Move to approve by Commissioner Helfand, seconded by Second. Commissioner Driscoll. Uh, any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing that public comments closed. Motion's been made by Commissioner Helfand, seconded by Commissioner Driscoll. Those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? Hearing no objection. The Motion passes. Madam Secretary. Thank you. Next item. Item number 13, discussion item, Chief Investment Officer's report. Okay. Um, there are three items that we'll cover today. Um, update on board approved investments, uh, discussion of our investment uh, manager selection and monitoring process, and a point I'll make on total plan value. Uh, just to foster this process, if you don't mind, I'm going to go through the update on board approved investments so we get that read right into the record so then we can have a, a broader discussion on the, the investment process. So I will read that into the record. Uh, at the board meeting on March 16, 2023, the retirement board approved in closed session an investment of up to $25 million in Pelion Ventures 8. The invest, um, SPURS investment of $25 million in Pelion Ventures 8 closed on April 5th, 2023. Next, uh, at the board meeting on March 16, 2023, the retirement board approved in closed session investments of up to 10 million to KVC Secondaries Fund 3 and up to 100 million in Knightsbridge H 2019 LP. SPURS investment of 10 million in the KVC Secondaries Fund 3 closed on April 28th and SPURS investment of 100 million in Knightsbridge H 2019 LP closed on May 1st, 2023. Next, uh, at the board meeting on April 20, 2023, the Retirement Board approved in closed session a commitment of up to $80 million in uh, TA-15. It, uh, that fund is classified as a growth capital investment within the SPURS uh, equity portfolio. And it closed, uh, the $80 million investment in TA-15 closed on April 27, 2023. Next, uh, at the meeting on April 20th, 2023, the Retirement Board approved in closed session investments of up to 50 million to be allocated between Mayfield uh, 17 and Mayfield Select 3, investments of 20.5 million in Mayfield 17 and 13.5 million in Mayfield Select 3 closed on May 1st, 2023. Finally, um, at the board meeting on February 16th, 2023, the board approved in closed session a commitment of up to 100 million in GenStar Capital Partners 11 and priority co-investment vehicles. Uh, GenStar Capital Partners 11 LP is classified as a buyout investment within the SPURS private equity portfolio. Uh, SPURS commitment of 100 million to GenStar Capital Partners closed on April 26, 2023. So with that, I was going to turn to the presentation uh, that I have uh, in this report regarding the uh, investment manager selection monitoring process. And uh, Darlene, if you could pull up those slides. So um, first, by, by way of background, um, I've spoken in some prior board meetings about the enhancements we've been making to our investment uh, monitoring and management uh, selection process. And I've also received a number of questions from board members uh, over the last several months. So I wanted to take the opportunity with a CIO report to, to present to the entire board 
uh, what our process is. And that is uh, uh, very central to your role as fiduciaries to understand what our processes are and how our, our decisions are made and provide oversight to that. Um, I also think it's a timely point to have this discussion because, as you know, we've been working with Nassiman on a delegation survey, and we are on track to report that uh, in, in June. And so this gives an opportunity for you to best understand all the work and the oversight and controls that we have in, in our manager selection process. So with that, um, if we could turn to slide two. Um, I'll quickly hit on the key takeaways, but I want you to know out of this presentation, if nothing else, which is one, we do have a very robust and established manager selection and monitoring process, and it is all guided by the board because you all approve the investment policy statement, the manager guidelines, and the monitoring process. We've set this up to, to match uh, roles with expertise. So it is the investment uh, team in the asset class that has the greatest subject matter expertise and they are doing the bulk of the work. But that is supported by subject matter experts as, as consultants in oversight with other individuals across the investment staff, which I'll outline in more detail. We have added a number of steps to our uh, investment monitoring and man, uh, selection process. I've uh, spoken in prior meetings, things like uh, I will be approving the manager selection criteria before we uh, kick off a search in public markets. I review very early stage, uh, early stage in the diligence, a team's um, a write up on a, a manager to understand what they're looking at, why it fits in their uh, portfolio and what are the key risks. It gives an opportunity to um, have a discussion early in the process so that we can address any issues uh, um, as we do our diligence. And we've solidified the role as, of the portfolio manager uh, management group, which is the uh, MDs that head up each of the asset classes. Um, they play an important part in reviewing every investment because they provide broad perspective of the total fund. And so bringing this together, again, key message for, for the board is to understand that before an investment comes to you as a recommendation, it has been thoroughly analyzed, thoroughly vetted, and importantly, thoroughly debated. Uh, we, we, we have a robust dialogue with consultants and within our own team, uh, pushing each other to make sure that we've uh, evaluated the risk, done our work, and done the diligence. Now I'll dig in a little bit more uh, to, to, to those points. If we could uh, flip to slide three. So who's involved in, in this process? The investment staff, which we have at the center, is really the asset class team. And they work with a lot of individuals throughout this process. What we're showing here in green are sort of the, what we're calling for this, the purposes of this conversation, the internal oversight parties. So that's myself, that's the portfolio management group and operations. And then we have relative again to, to the, the staff, the external uh, oversight, retirement board, general consultant, asset class consultant, and working with outside counsel uh, in the city attorney's office. So you can see there are a lot of individuals uh, involved and aligned with, with their expertise. So that's who the parties are. Uh, on page four, what we talk about is what the parties do. And again, this is all outlined in the policies that you all as a board have, have approved. So some key responsibilities of investment staff is to be involved in every aspect of manager selection, monitoring, and allocation. Staff are the subject matter expertise, and I'm putting together some data to, to um, show, that, that, show that in numbers. Uh, by my current review, staff collectively has over 350 years of investment experience. Um, that, that is substantial. 
Um, with regard to external oversight, you, you know your role well. Uh, the board sets the implementation framework, reviews investment structure, asset allocation, and investment results. These are all very important and big picture items, but it's important to understand that that all drives ultimately which managers we choose because you uh, help us design that, that framework. And then you provide oversight on the decision-making, uh, which is, is part of the, your core fiduciary duty. And then finally, the investment consultants make recommendations on investment policy issues. They assist staff with selection and monitoring. Um, and they are an outside sounding board. They will share where there are risks. They will debate uh, with us. And it is an opportunity to leverage their expertise to get a broader uh, perspective of, of risks, risks and considerations. So turning to the next slide, again, we've talked about who, we've talked about what, and I want to talk a little bit about when and where there are controls in our process. What we've tried to show here is a bit of a graphical um, representation of each of the stages of the process of manager selection. And, and those are sourcing and screening, investment diligence, operational diligence, investment recommendation, and contracting. At the center of all this is the asset class team that does this work. But at each stage of the process, we have external and internal oversight. Where we have um, locks uh, on this page, it's a graphical representation for you to understand where there are sort of decision point controls, where an approval has to be made or a review uh, has to be done for it to move forward in the process. Again, here I'd reiterate that overarching all these steps in the process, the board is involved in, in establishing the parameters by setting the investment policy statement. Now you may be asking yourself, what do these checks mean? Uh, what is done at each stage? That's what we've tried to capture on the, the next slide. And I will admit on slide six, this is an eye chart and it is hard because there's a lot on here. Um, but I know some people find it helpful to sort of see an entire process in one place. So, so that is what we've provided uh, to you. But I wanna talk about in particular um, where at each stage of the process we have those uh, controls. So for instance, during sourcing and screening, um, we do have the annual reviews to talk about where we wanna go for the year, to talk about pacing, to talk about where we're gonna lean in and out of certain areas based on the market. I am part of that, that process and we uh, uh, you know, agree that this is the path for, for the year forward. When it comes to investment due diligence, uh, again, I am involved uh, with this, what we're calling the go-no-go. -no -go. If, if a team brings forward an investment idea that is not consistent with what we had agreed upon in terms of the, that annual plan or is outside of the guidelines or uh, is problematic or has too many risks, we'll stop. But more likely, it will better inform our decision and our process as we do diligence to make sure we're continuing to ask the right question. And again, at that investment diligence stage, we're working very actively with our uh, external consultants. Uh, I'd also say when it comes to the investment recommendation stage, um, that's when the uh, asset class team provides to our portfolio manager group uh, the all the recommendations, so the consultant recommendation, the consultant ODD report, and the investment memo. And they come up with a lot of questions to ask our asset class team. It's a, I mean this in the best way, it is a tough group. It's a tough crowd because, because each of them bring expertise to the table and a total fun perspective and, and ask very insightful questions um, to make sure that, again, all these things are fully vetted. The PMG group will then uh, concur with, with the, the recommendation, and then it is op op 
ultimately up to, to me to approve that. I take into consideration everything that the PMG has taken into account, and I will take into account uh, the, the recommendation of the, the PMG. So we built in uh, and made more consistent each of these uh, stages of the process to make sure that the review is robust. And then finally, on the contracting side, again, where we have controls, we work with outside counsel and we work with Cecilia and her team. Uh, they approve every document to, to form, but we've enhanced the processes there as well uh, to understand when a contract ultimately comes to me, um, where where is it, did, have we gotten into the contract everything that we need? Where does it differ from, from from our standard, why is that a risk? Is that not a risk? And 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 I think we've worked out a good system to, to make that happen. So what I'm trying to convey, and it's a lot of detail, and there's a lot more on this page, is that we've systematized the, the process to ensure um, that that we leverage the expertise of the asset class team, but have good and appropriate oversight through our consultants, through outside counsel, uh, and through the, the broader um, set of individuals uh, at, at um, uh, in the investment staff. And, and I should also add our investment risk team plays an important part in many steps of these, these processes. Uh, and we're building out that team so we have the bandwidth to make sure that we have that, that risk mindset with every uh, um, decision. On, I've talked about oversight. On slide seven, I talk about the actual responsibilities of the asset class team. I won't read through the slide. Again, this is all from, from the guidelines that uh, IPS that you've um, approved. Um, but again, our teams often are following managers for years before something comes to, to a recommendation stage. They get to know these managers, they follow them, they analyze them, um, and, and they, they help guide where we lean in, out, in and out uh, certain years based on their experience and perspective on, on the market. They're conducting quantitative diligence, qualitative diligence, meeting with managers, et cetera, and, and not only considering investment risk, but operational risk. And all of that then informs their recommendation in terms of how to size the, the portfolio, think about it, its role in, in their overall asset class. So a lot of words on that page, but, but it's reflective of all the great work that the, the team is doing. So that's how we get to hire a manager or fund a strategy, but our work doesn't stop there. We're always monitoring uh, very closely the managers once we hire them, and that is what appears on slide eight. So um, it's an ongoing process. Um, the asset class team does the work. They work with our risk management team. We work with consultants. We're attending manager meetings, LPACs, AGMs, and we're addressing all the things that you see on this page. So not only investment performance, but making sure that the manager is sticking to the philosophy, the process, understanding the risk and return drivers, that they're uh, acting consistent with guidelines. Um, so a lot there, and there's a lot of detail under each of these boxes, but rest assured, uh, um, again, the, the work is not done. Once we hire a manager, the, the work only continues. The last point that I want to make on slide nine is that investment staff, myself, we are committed and we are required to then report to the board on many aspects of the manager selection and monitoring process. That, again, fulfills your duty, uh, your oversight duty as fiduciaries. So on slide nine, we, we detail um, all the, the deliver, deliverables to you. You're very familiar with us because you've seen us present on all these. 
Um, I, I think in particular things like the asset class strategy reviews, which we'll have some coming up in the investment committee meeting in July, are extremely important because that that is a reflection of the entire asset class decisions on portfolio construction. And, and having time to discuss issues like that, again, that's where the board can have a, a, a lot of impact. And, and so while we spend time on individual managers and $25 million investments, some of the things that are on this page that, that we deliver to you are, uh, are, are very, very uh, important. So to wrap up my comments, and, and I'll welcome questions, want to leave you with a few things. We have a good process in place to select and monitor managers. Since joining this organization, I've reviewed the, the approach. I've worked with the team to enhance that approach. We're looking to the subject matter experts with the financial knowledge to run the process, but we have checks and balances along the way. And, and again, as I started, everything that comes before the board has already been very fully vetted and debated um, before you see it. So that was a lot. Uh, it's, it's a big process. We tried to encapsulate all of it. And I particularly want to thank uh, Allo, Tanya, Kurt, uh, David, Anna, sorry, um, um, who um, worked with me to sort of execute the vision and, and try and get a very complex process down on paper to, to share with you and the, the board. Just to comment, I guess if you were to look at an extraordinary cost center, this is an extraordinary cost center, how this is allocated up across all those boxes in the terms of how we do our business. And um, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm safe in saying that you, you drill down into each one of these little boxes to find out whether they were actually costs are rationalized and right so yeah that's one of the incremental i mean the inherent parts of the deal uh yes and i think we included in our uh, budget proposal sort of a return on investment for the returns that we're able to achieve by by investing across asset classes investing in private markets and it is a significant uh risk or uh, uh, sort of return on that dollar investment I think I would, if I, if I would circle back to go to the, a primary thought that I have in this area is that in, for instance, in all the work that we go through these boxes to put a investment to the board for their consideration to make that investment, the packet sometimes can be like this and sometimes can be like this. And that's just what we are getting. You've got probably reams of, of data and whatever that staff is using to come to the conclusion that you want to make refer to make that investment. So um, that is um, an area of opportunity, probably. And um, we've talked about that. I think that's an ongoing um, challenge that you're looking at internally and um, where we're getting the most oversight, advice, bang for the buck. And so, but this is great. I mean, I love it.
thanks for doing this uh, document this way. Um, I'm going to make a couple observations, but the fact that it is an abridged representation of the IPS is great. Uh, I like pictures much more so than words. That's not why I don't have a, always have a lot of respect for lawyers, but pictures are easy for people like me. Um, no offense to the lawyers. The one clarification I want, though, is the phrase back on page seven. Just one of the, again, this is, the, I know it's a discussion item, but determine ability to meet Svern's objectives. Can you just clarify that? So I want to make sure I understand that's a very important statement. Specifically ties to investment objectives as outlined in the investment policy statement. So both the objectives, I think, for the, the total fund and for the asset class. That objective, which then leads to how we invest. Okay. Um, thanks for, I think it's back on page two, when you sort of list, yeah, page four, all these, what the internal team slash investment staff does. Many, many complex tasks. So I know that in one sense, doesn't represent everything staff has to do, but I'm glad you see you have the issue of managed risk there. And I'll, the order doesn't represent how important anything is. That's one, two. The one missing piece of the puzzle, I thought, again, this is a discussion. It's not meant to be complete, but one of the active decisions delegated to staff is the issue of how much leverage for polio to get and how then to invest it. That's a different, that's actively investing. That's not monitoring that has to be monitored. So to the extent this becomes representative going forward, uh, we have to figure out how to include it. So we understand, we, this really helps the board understand all the things staff is doing, let alone to appreciate all the time it takes to do these things. Because it's, for example, the managing risk is not, it's not simply a manager of a quarterly or a semi-annual report. You guys are on it 24 hours a day. So again, that's just one of the items about this great document. If I may address that sure. that point to, to clarify, the intent of what we show on page four is specifically responsibilities as they relate to manager selection uh, and monitoring, um, and and uh, does not we didn't intend to capture on here the, the the how we address leverage in our systems and processes there. That's something that we're working to enhance, and we can come back at some point and, and provide that. Okay, that's that's a useful clarification. Because the point, bullet point there about rebalancing assets, that's again, rebalancing is a, that's one of the ways you manage risk because guardrails or guidelines that you're giving, you have to do that. There's another aspect of the authority staff has to do. You're able to move money within an asset class. Those are active bets. That's something else that we, the board has to make sure that's being monitored. You're reporting and the consultant is watching that thing. It can be a significant amount of money after a while. Again, a lot of tasks, a lot of responsibilities. It'll always come back. Are we giving you and staff enough resources to do that? Which means time and people and being compensated correctly. Okay. Uh, how this represents in one sense the process, I use the phrase uh, increasing value increasing enterprise value, which usually most people think is finding another opportunity, another investment to make and invest. One of the less well understood items is improving the process, much like hiring more and better people, leads to increasing value. And it's on a whole range of issues, making this a good place to work, a place to stay, where you're gonna be respected, where you can really use your brain to help us 
make more money and more importantly, manage risk. So again, great document. Thank you. Um, I would say it sounds like if you, this is representing the process that you can see where, how to improve the process along the way will also increase value. Thank you. Any other commissioners? I have one other item in the CAIO report that I wanted to mention, but oh, were there any other questions on? on okay. Um, so the, the last item that we have, as we have every month, is the plan value report. Um, and in the spirit of, of transparency, um, I do want to bring something to the board's attention. Um, we've talked in the past about the denominator effect, and you've understood why we've been overweight of uh, private equity. Um, but there is one other area that we are underweight, and we're underweight relative to the guardrails, and that is um, on treasuries. Um, and we probably at some point will come back to you um, with um, a proposal to maybe consider both treasuries and cash together and our exposure there. The reality is in this interest rate environment, um, you can get return on cash. We're not often sitting on cash, um, but the way that we are going to probably manage it going forward is to think about cash together with treasuries because th those, that, those are the assets that we're looking to get liquidity for. Um, so while we are a little underweight, when we look at what we have on cash balance at any given point with the treasuries, we're still well within those those guardrails. Um, so we will come back to you on that, but I wanted to just note uh, uh, that because there's a lot of numbers on this page and I wanted to make that clear. Any questions on that? I'm just curious then, how do you count the numbers? Because in the last few years, we get that large of influx of cash in July. <laughs> But that then allows the team to use that cash as like uh, collateral to use derivatives like leverage. Do you count it that way when it's invested that way or is that the minus number? Perhaps we can go through all the math maybe offline, but we're, we, we do calculations for ourselves that look at cash, cash that's collateralized, what's pure cash, what's cash is collateral, what's unencumbered cash. So all those things go into the, the equation. When we were getting cash in, for instance, uh, in, in the end of June, we then say we're going to get this much cash. We predict in the next two months we're going to have these outflows and capital calls, and then we make a decision based whether or not we want to equitize, whether we want to keep it in cash, treasuries, et cetera. That's based on the market environment at the time and the, the flows. Okay, thank you. Any other commissioners? Any other comments? Madam CEO, CIO? I guess in this instance, CIO. That's everything I had. <laughs> Given the item. You're going to get a hat. <laughs> well, how, we should get you two yeah, different hats. You should just put them on <laughs> when each item comes up. Okay, great. Any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 14, action item, recommendation to hire Wilshire Advisors, LLC, for General Investment Consulting Services. Chili? Chili? You chili? You chili? No. You cold at all? Cold? Cold. Are you cold? Feels a little cold, right? 
AJ's not. He's got that big beard. Please go ahead. You have to turn the um the light off. It's weird. It's counter. It should be off. Okay. Counterintuitive. Yeah. It's like Thank turn you. the light off and then the microphone comes on. All right. Um. An October uh, 2022 retirement board meeting, the retirement board approved staff's recommendation to issue an RFP for general investment consulting services to support the board and staff um, in, in general investment consulting reviews. Staff conducted a rigorous multi-phase due diligence process, including review and rating of the RFP responses uh, focused virtual interviews, intensive on-site due diligence, multiple demonstrations of analytical and performance tools, reference checks, interviews with first CEO, CIO, and lastly, you can't leave the room. Sorry. Yeah, we. Yeah, sorry. We would have just lost quorum. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And the last uh, uh, phase of the RFP review was at the uh, April board when the semifinalist presented. Uh, the semifinalist um, presentation uh, was from Veris and Wilshire. Uh, Veris presented a differentiated approach to asset and liability study, and Wilshire stood out with its approach, um, robust approach to capital market research. Um, analytical uh, decision-making for strategic asset allocation and strong risk management and ESG practices. So based on the results of this five-phase screening uh, process, staff recommends that the retirement board approve the hiring of Wilshire Advisors for first general consulting investment services. Um, we're here uh, to take any questions uh, from the board. Any questions, commissioners? Yes. You do? I do. Oh, Commissioner Driscoll. Um, I'm going to support the recommendation, uh, not because it's resigned to it. I mean, it's obviously the best choice. Um, no offense to Virus and NEPC and the other bidders. Because we always have the choice of not hiring anybody and going back to the field. But again, and sometimes I felt that way based on when I review it, but these are strong candidates, Wilshire being the strongest. Um, there's always an item, would there have been one or two more pieces of information that could have been gathered that would even prove that point further? For example, how well have they performed as the OCIO for some of their clients? because that would capture a whole bunch of other decisions, some of which would align with what we're expecting them to help us with. But again, it's not necessary, but it's when you read stuff, it always makes more questions come up. There's always that quality issue. The time it would take to get the answer to questions are not worth it. It's not going to change the basic decision or the basic recommendation. So the fact that Wilshire is uh, very technically advanced compared to their peers, they've invested a great deal, which will be benefit of us. In a sense, we're... Uh, a more sophisticated investor who can really tap into those resources. I do. Staff has already been doing it. I think now you're going to be given an even a better, greater tool that you'll use. Thank you. Or warning you, <laughs> it always just drives us to expect more work from you, but that's the way it goes. 
the thing I was concerned about, though, with Wilshire, since they have a corporate culture, they do have a low turnover of their key people that we're interested in. But the fact that their new owners took them over less than two years ago, will that sometimes it takes a while for a thing to change. I know with investment bankers are taken over by somebody not from the industry every time. And I'm talking about five or six cases where it's blown up on us and we wind up having to fire the manager we hired and it relates to an ownership change. Um, do you have any doubts about that's going forward? Because the lead consultants have been there with them 18, 20 years. Will they stay? These are very good, very good uh, consideration, Commissioner Driscoll. Um, and we, we did debate it a lot. Um, and we felt that when we hire Wilshire, we also work with their research team, with their data analytics team, with their um, risk management team, not just one consultant representing the relationship. So we feel that while they presented very good um, team on the consulting and client front, uh, front facing, we also feel that their um, core expertise that supports this consultant is, uh, is very strong. Okay, there's a slightly difference, um, use the word, throughout the allocation development. Wilshire's was robust, uh, Veris's was, I forget what phrase you used, but another positive phrase, but different. My question comes back to the strengths and weaknesses of at least the two finalists. They have slightly different strengths and weaknesses, but if, particularly from your reference calls to the former clients, did you pick up any weaknesses that are important such that, not that you wouldn't recommend it, but if that was a weakness in an area that we need help, do you have a solution or a substitute or something like that? Both were referenced very strongly. And we again, that's why we felt very comfortable bringing both semifinalists to the board uh, in April. We do feel that the support team is much more robust on the um, Wilshire team. And the other thing is the Wilshire came up with a kind of total proposal, which is more um, competitive. So let me re-ask my question to make sure I understood your answer. Do you, did you de detect or discover any weaknesses in Wilshire that it's okay, they're, they're, they run their own company, but that that's a service we need to make sure we cover another way? No. So they're very complete? Okay. Complete for our recommendations for what we from, from the RFP. Yeah. And Sorry. actually the offer went beyond what we set out in the RFP. Okay. Uh, if I, I may add to that, um, not this isn't comment specific to Wilshire, but to our process. Part of the reason that we separated out the public market consultant from the, the total fund consultant is, was to make sure that we got the best of both and, and didn't have to make a trade-off uh, um, to, to get the best board consultant, but maybe wasn't the best asset class consultant. That in some ways, I think, um, just knowing the industry, that that's sometimes the sticking point where you're, you're making the biggest trade-off. And, and so this gave us the flexibility and, and bidders could bid on one, they could bid on both. So we've resolved that issue through the process. Uh, that's good. I'll say I proved that point by, we had to fight to unbundle certain things along the years. When we unbundled, for example, our deferred compensation program, 
the money went right back to our members. The money we saved, significant amounts of money were saved. So this is not a money saver. The thing is, are you getting the help, the expertise we need to help you do your job better? Because when you're doing it, cutting down risk, making us more money, adding value, that was the objective. If you did that, great. So I put it this way then. I did ask a question when they were here. I read it again in their RFP. Their approach to developing their under, for them to understand our risk tolerance, which we have to understand. I look forward to that piece of the work when they're on board. That's one. Two, um, I look forward to access to their library, which they've made, said they would make available to all of us. And three, though, I'll let you please, if you ask them or they insist on doing some editing of our investment policy statement, great, but please make sure it's presented to us in the same format that Ms. Romano just presented all the terms of reference. It's so much easier to read. Last time there was a problem. There's so many changes you couldn't keep track of all the changes. It just makes it hard for us to read and vote and approve. Again, if all these things lead, which meaning hiring Wilshire, helps and leads to our investment team improving the process and making better decisions, it's a great recommendation. Thank you. Okay, any other questions, commissioners? That concludes my questions. Great. Any other parts of your presentation? Um, it's a recommendation, so we expect a vote. I'll move to approve. Second. Any public comment on this item? Seeing them, public comment is closed. Um, motion has been made by Commissioner Alphonse, seconded by Commissioner Driscoll. Those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? Seeing none, motion passes. Madam Secretary, next item. Item number 15, discussion item 2023 annual liquidity management update. You can move the scoot the chair over. It doesn't. It doesn't show though. See it on the screen. Do you see the presentation? Let me do it for mine. Thank you very much. Okay. So um, we'll walk through the liquidity management. I, I see it, darling. Okay. 
liquidity management um, is an annual, well, liquidity management is a continuous process for staff. And we also present an annual update to the board. And so this, this um, is an annual update. There are a lot of details here. However, I'd like to first get a broad overview of our liquidity management process, and then um, just highlight the key takeaways. So we'll start with the overview of the process. First, liquidity management process is outlined in the three pillows. We review uh, and model the cash flows from private investments. And this is very important because FERS has a very large private investment portfolio, of private equity, private credit, and real assets. And the, this uh, is mostly a portfolio that invests in what's called drawdown vehicles where the managers can draw down um, or distribute cash opportunistically. So we need a, uh, we actually put together a number of models that help us predict and forecast the cash flows of our large private portfolio. So that's pillar number one. The third pillar um, uh, that feeds the into this process um, and in the right is the forecast of our pension obligation. This is where we work very closely with our actuaries. Um, and also last um, presentation, you've, you've heard from NAPC when we reviewed the liability side of the asset and liability study. And what we always look at is not just the base case, but also the stress cases um, under uh, different conditions. And so then we can collect all those forecasts from um, the cash, cash flows to and from private portfolio, as well as expected pension obligation. And, and review our liquidity position. Again, this is the ongoing process, but what you see in this report is the annual report of these expectations. So that's when we review how much liquid assets do we have, what, what is the uh, amount of these assets, and under different stress conditions. And do we have enough to meet different, um, different um, positioning of the portfolio. And here, I'm not going to go through all of the details. I'll just get the highlight, and if we go to page four, um, that first trust has adequate liquidity to meet obligations on the different stress conditions. And we considered multiple stress conditions. I'd like to uh, kind of zoom in and what's different in this report versus the, and kind of the key takeaway from this report while we have sufficient liquidity uh, to meet um, our obligations, current liquidity environment in private markets are stressed. And we wanted to calibrate and understand how stressed. Is it, um, are we close to financial crisis or 2008, uh, which was one of our kind of high, stronger stress scenarios? Are we in, well, we're the, assets are not growing and managers are kind of backing off, which was the, the uh, stress case that we called no growth. Um, and that's where we worked very closely with our um, partners and our consultant Cambridge Associates. Um, they are our consultants for all private 
investments. And we're able to work on um, stochastic model to evaluate the cap projected cash flows. And so the core outcome there was that the GFC type scenario is a really big stress scenario. It's <laughs> so more like one in 50 year, maybe one in 20 year type scenario. And we're not there. And our um, less um, stressful, if you will, let's say scenario, which is the no growth scenario, is a lower quartiles type of stress. So it's a one in five year, one in four year type of scenario. And that's where we are, uh, that's where we were managing to last year. When we evaluated the cash flows in 2022 to and from our private portfolio, we've seen that actually the liquidity uh, conditions were below this um, lower quartile and they were closer to one in five years, one in six year event. And so what we've done uh, working with Cambridge is to make sure that currently we're managing liquidity closer to the 15 percentile, uh, which is one in seven, one in eight years scenario. And that's where that that's kind of calibrating the stochastic modeling to help us calibrate how we know it's stressed, we know we're getting less distributions, but it's not GFC, it's also not kind of the no growth stepping back. We need to have kind of a guide post how are we going to manage our liquidity day to day and plan going forward because it affects the pacing, annual commitment pacing, it affects the projections of the asset allocation. So that's the key um, takeaway. And we're very grateful um, to Cambridge who provided this sophisticated model, worked closely with us. And frankly, everyone here um, helped Cambridge because there is a lot of details. So that's that's the big piece. What's, what is it that we are doing to address that um, that outcome of the stressed uh, envir liquidity environment? We are recommending well, we're, we're together with the CEO, CIO, as well as um, Cambridge consultant and, and staff, we're reducing annual commitments to private investments by about 10%. To be precise, 11%, $350 million. So last year, the budget, the annual commitment budget to private investments in aggregate was $3.05 billion. 3 .05 billion. Uh, this year, it's $2.7 billion. So it's $350 billion less in aggregate. And it's across all three uh, private asset classes, private equity, private credit, and real assets. So these are the steps that we're doing. Another reason we are comfortable um, managing to lower commitment is what we've reviewed uh, with the board uh, during April asset and liability study that this, this pension obligation piece is growing, right? So the net outcome due to, out of the plan due to pension payments is expected to increase as plan matures. And as a result, we need to uh, the liquidity is a larger consideration and we need to consider decreasing allocation to privates. 
So this took us in durations, kind of the maturing plan and um, challenging, but again, something that we manage, but uh, liquidity, uh, liquidity in the market for the last 18 months lead to reduced uh, pacing. So these are the highlights. Uh, we do have Cambridge Associates on the line. If you have any questions on the details, I appreciate there are a lot of details in the report and it's our annual um, re report to show you the, um, the adequacy of liquidity and liquidity management framework. Questions? Yeah. Right. Discussion item. Sure. It is a lot, right? And so please feel free to reach out. I know there is a lot, but with the this is something that we've discussed regularly. Um, and that's why I felt um that and, and we discuss it with Allison, we could kind of shorten it. Make sure that any, any Joe. All right, a couple of questions just to make understand because some of these things lead to affecting uh, another major issue. Uh, it's good that Cambridge worked with you. Projecting capital calls, I would understand, just a routine thing for them. But what about all the other issues about, did you use an APC at all? We didn't use an APC with the asset and liability study that we presented but in April. Not on cash projections? On cash projection, we'll, we'll work closely with Cambridge. I'm curious, is that a capacity or skill that Wilshire would have. Yes, yeah, and 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 an APC also incorporated as we presented. We we work very closely with an APC to incorporate cash projections, but we ultimately took what Cambridge gave us because Cambridge is our consultant and plugged it into an APC's um, asset and liability study. I didn't know how good they are in economic forecasting, though. So it's fine to use them. Uh, they're also a great source of information. The question then becomes this, using the below 25% tile assumption, uh, that's a, an assumption of where we think the economy will be, which drives the markets. The way that was developed, was that developed by Cambridge for us or jointly, or how did you vet that? That's a, that's a major decision. Yeah, it's a major, it was done uh, with, Cambridge developed the assumptions, but we worked very closely with them on reviewing the assumptions, reviewing the modeling and the data that led into that led into um, the stochastic process. Well, then the question, did you accept Cambridge's work or did you guys really tear it apart and make sure we agreed? We, we had multiple iterations and we also had it reviewed at our um, annual review of, of um, private investments and uh, spend hour, at least an hour with with, with um, CEO and CIO. The next issue is then, because I was with some of the updates with the asset managers, um, and I forget all the, how you labeled the, all the securities, the three levels. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But some of these shifts would automatically lead to lowering the assumption we make about the rate of return. I know we're going to be doing that going forward, but is or have you already gone that far ahead to realize it doesn't look like much? What's a three hundred fifty million dollar reduction in the private areas? It doesn't seem like a big would move the needle, but maybe it would. Uh, have we gone that far, or is that that's going to, what we're going to be working on the next couple of months? 
If you look, the projections are like a 10 year projection. And so there is a lot of, there are a lot of assumptions going on. Here, yeah. And so we felt that at this point where we are, we're comfortable calibrating it by 10%, but we are monitoring it. And also the other thing, uh, Commissioner Driscoll, is that, that this is what we plan. What actually, we also need to see what the market gives, right? Because many managers actually push their fundraising. And so even though we had the funding, we prefer to not spend all of it. This is kind of the higher uh, estimate. And, and if I could also add, um, just so, so it's clear to everyone, um, it doesn't necessarily immediately change your return expectations because you have to take into account if, um, distributions slow and capital calls slow, we, we still have, for instance, an overweight to, to private equity. So slowing down, putting in new money doesn't necessarily radically change in the short term, our exposure to these asset classes and our return assumptions. Yeah. I, I do understand that. Um, that's why there's seven to 10 years. When you make a move, it takes, it'll take a decade for it to be reflected. But at the same time, when we make that assumed rate of return assumption, we're looking that far out as well. So it will be affect us. The cash flow effect will be in the future, but we have to look that way when we come back and discount all our liabilities today. So they all go together. Absolutely. And again, these numbers are basically for one year. They may go up or down further a year from now. So thanks for walking the process. I'm just reviewing the steps and understanding. Great. Thank you, Honor. Concludes my question. Any further questions, comments? Uh, just one quick. So, so Anna, as we move forward and, and to do the asset allocation, we'll go back over this process again right before then because yes. these... With, with closure. <laughs> yes, because this data point will change for sure based on the markets. Yes. I mean, I, I, I feel good that you guys are comfortable with where we are now and based on the data we have in front of us. But I know as the market moves, this, these assumptions will change. Yeah, and we keep reevaluating. Absolutely. Very fair point. Um, Okay, that that's. Uh, I'm glad that you're on top of it, and I, and I look forward to getting the updates. For liquidity reasons, we must constrain some of the investment opportunities for a very logical reason. Yeah. It then pays out in the assumed rate of return. That's fair. I'm moving balls. Mm -hmm. Any further questions, comments? Um, as you said yourself, there's a lot of data here, but um, well presented. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you brought your support system back there. Should also chair thank um, you for their assistance to our staff. Can we share help? I think we need to ask for public comment before we. Well, public comment on this item. Hearing none, yeah, public comments closed. Can you call the next item, please? Item number 16, discussion item San Francisco Deferred Compensation Plan quarterly report, Q1. And, and if I may make a, a lead-in comment, um, I, I know uh, Diane and team are, are prepared to present, um, but I wanted to take the opportunity on this uh, agenda item to share with you some fantastic news. Um, the plan sponsor, Council of America, recently announced the 2023 signature awards for retirement plan education 
And under the leadership of, of Diane and her team and with the support of Voya, the city and county of San Francisco with Voya was um, honored with second place in the events and workshops category. So thank you, D Diane, uh, to the entire DC team and to Voya for that. Well done. Well done. And with that, I will turn it over to Diane. Now I'm, I'll turn you over. Over you. Thank you so much, Vice President, and and thank you, CEO, CIO Romano, for those words. I'm glad you said something because I don't usually boast about our achievements, but that is something that we are proud of. We sent Steve Moy, who's our program manager, out to Florida to pick that up, and uh, we we're very very excited. So thank you. Um, just for context, that is for our October um, National Retirement Security Month. So that it always tends to be a very, very busy campaign, and we're already working on that for this year after we wrap up our Target Date Fund campaign, which you guys are well aware of. So um, with that said, I'd like to begin the quarterly report, if it pleases the board. Excellent. Do you, do you guys hear that with our participants and beneficiaries? I have not, but we certainly can. Okay, I think it's good. You should hear it, right? Yeah. We actually have a list, um, uh, a bunch of plaques that I was considering placing around our office just to continue to motivate staff and to showcase, you know, the excellence of our work. So thank you for that support. So today, commissioners, we are presenting the quarterly report, which is our most comprehensive update, and it covers the four main pillars of the plan, investments, marketing, operations, and the record keeper. Up first is the investments category. I'm happy to report that the stable value funds crediting rate for Q2 has increased by 12 bips to 2.56%. This rate is guaranteed for the quarter and will reset in Q3. Stable value currently holds over 1 billion in assets. And as we have all seen the recent headlines, the collapse of Credit Suisse, Silicon Valley, Signature Bank and First Republic has caused great concern for many investors. However, I'm pleased to report that the Stable Value Fund had no exposure to three of these banks, um, and the only exposure was 10 bips of Credit Suisse with no AT1 exposure. Overall, bank holdings are also limited to 11% of the Stable Value portfolio across 40 issuers, and any impact will be reflected in the Q3 crediting rate, which will be announced next month at the June board meeting. I've also attached for your reference Galliard's Q1 commentary for additional reference and insight on the past quarter. Now I'd like to turn it over briefly to Mr. Greg Ungerman, our investment consultant from Callen, to provide a brief overview on this past quarter's investment performance, as you can see on the screen. This quarterly activity report is located right after the quarterly memo in front of you. And with that, Mr. Ungerman, can you please begin? Yeah, thank you and good afternoon. Uh, just some brief comments after a very challenging 2022, where both stocks and bonds were negative, with the exception of the stable value fund was positive. Uh, the first quarter of 23 uh, came very robust. Uh, particularly the large cap growth, which was the biggest underperformer last year, bounced back very nicely. In the first quarter, you could see it was up 16.87%, albeit a short time period, but outperforming the index. Uh, other areas of interest, the fixed income market up close to 3%. 
Uh, so a very nice bounce back from the previous year. And looking at small cap and international, some of the value managers uh, trailed their benchmarks in the first quarter after very strong relative results last year. So again, it was a bit of a yin and yang between last year and this year. But by and large, all those sum up to be positive results for the target date, which really draw upon many of these core offerings uh, to the participants of the plan. And you can see in the uh, year to date column for the target date funds, they're all outperforming their respective benchmarks. And again, that's a great testament to the strong active managers that you employ in the plan. Happy to address any questions, but again, I just wanted to leave some high level summary comments. Any questions? That is the investment portion. I'd like to move on to the marketing pillar if there's no questions there. Okay. Thank you. I'm happy to report an update on our target date fund manager transition. As you know, T. Rowe Price was selected as our incoming target date fund manager and a target launch date of July 1st. A direct marketing mailer was dropped via USPS to all target date fund participants yesterday to inform them of this change and the benefits include enhanced asset allocation, new target date fund vintages for retirees, increased bond diversification, a new tactical asset allocation to respond to market movements, all at a lower cost as a result of the glide path effective July 1st. An announcement of this will appear on sfdcp.org tomorrow and a follow-up email to target date fund participants with an email address on file will be sent next week. In addition, all these participants have the option to opt out of automatic re-enrollment, which maps participants into the target date fund according to the established 65-year-old retirement age chart. For instance, safety personnel tend to retire earlier, and as such, they would choose a target date fund that corresponds to retirement age date age of 55 instead of 65. We have trained the field and the counselors to not only be prepared to explain the transition and its benefits, but to actively engage police, fire, and sheriff with their option to opt out. We've sent out department emails to those groups and counselors will be available at select locations to assist and answer any questions with regards to this transition. We will also be hosting an in-person targeted fund seminar on June 8th here in this building on the fifth floor, as well as two webinars on June 13th and June 20th for those participants who choose to attend remotely. Webinars dovetail nicely into the next pillar if there's no questions on marketing operations. We are excited to announce our new webinar schedule. Going forward, SFDCP webinars will be offered every Wednesday from noon to one with rotating topics weekly. You can find webinar details in the memo and they'll include topics on tax strategies, when you get a raise, nearing retirement, and SFDCP tools and web demonstrations. Any CCSF employee can attend these helpful webinars by simply registering at sfdcp.org. And also attached for your reference is the SFDCP Q1 newsletter that is towards the end of your materials. Um, I'm proud to report that this newsletter has the highest open rates of 65% since we've transitioned to Voya. For context, this open rate is very, very high, even for us, 
because we benefit from higher open rates given our engaged participant base. For context, the email open rate is nearly two times an all industry average of 35%. So clearly this newsletter hit home with participants and it's possible that the subject title also grabbed their attention, which was tips for your SFDCP account. Um, we also had stellar uh, conversion rates of over 10%. Conversion mates basically track when a receiver clicks on something within the mail. So that's they were actively engaging, and that is 10 times the industry average of 1%. So we are very excited about this because the newsletter covered many interesting topics, including taxes as we're approaching tax season, as well as the increased RMD age to 73 as a result of the Secure 2.0 legislation. And a brief update on Secure 2.0 on that topic. As the board has been informed earlier this year, staff is tracking and monitoring the Secure Act and prioritizing the mandatory provisions over the optional first. Staff has continued to liaise with similar sized government plans to gauge their reactions and implementations to the Secure 2.0 provisions. The plan, SFDCP, is also part of NAGDA, which is an acronym for the National Association of Government Defined Contribution Administrators. The role of NAGDA is to support government plans by carrying our voices to Capitol Hill when it comes to legislative changes that impact plan sponsors and the retirement outcomes for our employees. NAGDA has identified several areas in the secure sorry, errors in the Secure 2.0 legislation, including one that could be read to eliminate catch-up contributions entirely. So NAGDA has been working closely with the Hill and has suggested a regulatory fix to the IRS and the Treasury. Both have agreed to remedy the problem, although they could not commit timelines of legislative action, which as you know, is generally a very long process. So the situation is still in flux. We will continue to monitor the situation and brief the board as needed, particularly on catch-up contributions, as well as the roll-up of the mandatory, rollout of the mandatory Roth catch-up contributions that are supposed to go into effect at the beginning of next year. A lot of government plan sponsors are requesting more time um, um, to get their affairs in order to properly track what the income levels are in order to qualify participants for those raw ketchups. I'll stop there if there's any questions on operations before moving to Record Keeper. Any questions? No? Please proceed. Oh, you have a question? I just a suggestion. Uh, it's more like the previous subject, but whenever the stable value return shows below the treasury, which it is right now, people start asking serious questions. Uh, this is a good graph, but again, a longer period will show over time, the stable value tends to be above it. I would just have that graph ready in case the complaints start because we're gonna be in this situation for a good 12 months or longer. It takes a while for the stable value. That's a suggestion. Yep, and then uh, you're absolutely right because in down markets, then it's, you're absolutely right. Um, I think in, in, in purposes of for the memo, we wanted to make sure that we captured the most recent, but that is a good, good point. And good for reference, actually, even in the future. So finally, the last pillar, moving on to the record keeper. Voya has rolled out some new security features that include mobile phone authorization and real-time validation. 
With cybersecurity becoming increasingly more important, we want to do our best to help safeguard our participants' assets. One of the easiest ways SFDCP participants can protect themselves is to register their account online. This is because failure to do so allows cyber criminals to easily assume your SFDCP online identity. This step is also important because Voya has offered the SFDCP our plan, their SAFE guarantee. SAFE stands for Safe Accounts for Everyone. Voya's SAFE program will restore the value of a participant's account if it is compromised by unauthorized activity, but it is subject to the degree of recommended safety actions a participant has taken in advance, one of them being to register your account. So to register your account, simply go to sfdcp.org and click register now. Is there a question? Um, I have a question. How much of the data, where, where does the data reside? The majority of the participants' data, does it, is it in our database or is it in Boaz or? No, Commissioner, that would be with us primarily. With you. Correct. Okay. Uh, yep, sorry. Thank you. Uh, my question is about some of the other safety um, requirements. So you mentioned one was registering uh, an account, but there were some other steps that a participant would need to do as well. Do you know offhand what those other steps are? No, I don't, but I did actually include the website in the memo on where we could find those. And if you have the memo before you, I believe it is located at, apologies, I don't have that with me right now but it is basically located at www.voya.com slash articles slash safe dash guarantee. And I'm sorry, I got to turn around the, the pages. Which page are you on? I am on page seven in my memo for the record keeper pillar. Thank you. Certainly. There are also some uh, tips that the DOL provides for investors as well, and that is located on the DOL website. That is something we may consider sharing at our next meeting as well to properly arm our participants with what they can do. And that concludes my quarterly report. I'd, I'd like to now turn it over to Voyas, Mr. Bishop Bastien, who will walk the board through our quarterly board report. We are going to show it on the screen. Mr. Ugerman, can you assist? Thank you. Thanks, Diane. Thank you, Greg. I'm just going to briefly cover a quick few slides uh, of highlight the activity and then happy to address any questions that you might have. So first off, if we can go to slide four. I just want to cover the activity or increases in plan participation that we include, or excuse me, number of participant accounts we uh, received over the first quarter of the year. Uh, this really this kind of continues an ongoing trend that we have, although the data within the slide actually shows a couple periods where there's month data captured. We're actually seeing positive quarterly change for this plan going back over two years now. So total accounts added to the plan during the first quarter was 212 at this point. On slide five, Greg, if we can, just to talk a little bit about plan assets and the growth in the plan itself. As Greg mentioned, positive activity within the markets in the first quarter, that resulted in uh, additional growth within the plan assets. Assets rose over 6% during the quarter when you look back over uh, Q4 uh, for a total of $4.5 billion in plan assets at the end of the quarter. On slide six, just want to briefly talk about the asset growth in the quarter and particularly the cash flow that we experienced as well. 
Um, you know, cash flow numbers can vary from quarter to quarter, as you see on the lower uh, right-hand side of the slide. But the assets, when you look at it from a quarterly perspective, it was the most positive cash flow uh, quarter we've had since Q1 of 2021. And, and actually, based upon last year's activities, although it was more, we can attribute most of that growth probably to increased contribution rates as we move into the first quarter and the activity of the, the IRS at the end of the year. Moving on just to look at quickly at slide 29 to look at the counselor's activities uh, for the quarter. Again, if you might recall during the last quarterly meeting, uh, which I reported on, uh, we did have decreased activity when we looked at Q4. Uh, in Q1 though, all activity that in key categories, whether that's one-on-one -on -one meetings, group meetings, virtual meetings, uh, group meetings that were going on being held, all surpassed the Q4 numbers as well. Uh, while there's no a key event that this activity is attributable to, uh, unlike you know when we're in Q3 uh, looking or Q4 looking at um, the activity of National Save for Retirement Month, uh, this is actually more drive a driving of activity within our, the activity of our participants, looking to push them to be on site more, carrying out more departmental and location visits, uh, making sure that they're using proper use of their time, and then also trying to find new ways in which to highlight their availability. Uh, to participants in the plan as well. And with that, I will pause and take any questions that you might have. Any questions, comments? Oh, 16. 16? It's not. Ben, is you done? Yes, that concludes my report. It's a great report. Thank you. Oh, one thing, I love the way you put it together. You're always... <laughs> Thanks being uh, running a meeting very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for your presentation. I read it in advance and went over the numbers. Sorry, I had to step out of the room. But um, any other comments, commissioners? If we can entertain a, a, a motion. I think this discussion. Is oh, no. Okay, great. Sounds good. Any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. So much. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 17, discussion item, retirement board member, good of the order. Hey, I will say that what it was uh, commissioner at two at this time held fond. <laughs> this is the good of the order. Good of the order. Thank you. I agree with that. Any other any other because I have a couple things that I want to say since does anyone have anything? Okay. So one thing I wanted to update folks on, I know that there um, we had some discussions on credit for prior service as it related to uh, those that were veterans. So we have a piece of legislation at the Board of Supervisors that Supervisor Stephanie and myself are sponsoring to clarify that. We're going to bring that forward. We believe it will have uh, strong support. Um, so that will, that will pass shortly. And Keep folks updated um, and then secondly I know uh, we had some public commenters here today we're not responsible but I do want to see, ask the the CIO to look into some of the information we were given some of the report from staff I've asked for some follow-up information on that um, because there's things that you can walk the line and, and follow the law to the letter and then there's other ways that you can be more sensitive. And, and again, I understand that we're looking at a purely investment perspective. Uh, 
seems to be just based on my experience, there's, there seems to be, a, there potentially seems to be some issues that I'd like more information on. So I've asked the CEO, CIO to follow up on that. Um, and uh, we will, excuse me, practices based on statistics i mean there's there's local laws in virginia there's that need to be followed and there's also based on the overall market there um, we heard some testimony today that i found disturbing um and we've gotten emails in the past so i just feel like we need to look into that matter further that's all i'm prepared to say at this moment any anything oh commissioner thomas just a question on your first item, the um, item that you're working on with Supervisor Stephanie, is that going to require a ballot measure or is that something that can be done right at the force? No, it's legislative. I don't know if the city attorney wants to illuminate, add a little more information. It's an amendment of the administrative code, so it doesn't have to go on the ballot. Thanks. Thanks. Anything else, folks? Okay, I don't have any anything else. Uh, hold on. We're not. Are there any members of the public? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I take your microphone away. Uh, any any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none. Public comments closed. Okay. Meeting adjourned. <laughs>